My name is Zoe, the co-host of Not Superwoman. I am the granddaughter of French, English and Irish immigrants now living on Boorong land. I acknowledge that we meet on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast was recorded. We pay respects to elders past and present. I recognize and respect their cultural heritage, beliefs and relationships with this land. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. Hello. Welcome. We're excited today to chat all things footy. Yes, well, footy, <laughs> life, kids, marriage, the no, whole... No, it's not footy. It's not. Well, there's a little bit of footy sprinkled in there, but not a lot. And since you there's... referred to an oval as a field. <laughs> that was deeply alarming. I know. Well, to explain um, to our listeners, we had the absolute privilege of sitting down with sports journalist Caroline Wilson. And she is, um, for any Australian growing up... Uh, reading The Age or The Herald Sun, you would know her name has been splashed over the newspapers and on TV for our entire lives. She's so incredible. She's an absolute trailblazer, dynamo legend. Yeah. Like she's inspiring. I sat here and I was like, God, you are a woman that kind of knows what she wants. You're unapologetic. You are driven. You know, you have a great supportive partner that, you know, you, you're a team, which I also love. Um, mm. You know, I guess that helps when they work in a similar industry. Yeah, yep. But, yeah, she was she was fantastic. Yeah, again, and, and like another character that it's um, – I find it so intriguing when you talk to people and you listen and that she just has such a resilience and confidence that she doesn't, I think, really identify with her own strength. And she's so pragmatic and practical that she doesn't get caught up in all the emotion of no. her industry. And, I mean, she's been through – she's received, like, incredible awards from being, like, the first woman to win the AFL's uh, gold medal award in 1989 to then, you know, multiple awards, but also receiving, like, 2010, the Australian Sports Commission Media Lifetime Achievement Award. I mean, she – and yet she's also been through so much criticism for breaking some of the biggest Australian sports stories and – has been able to push past it. Yes, like I just that resilience is incredible. Mm. Um, but we don't we don't just talk sport. We talk about um, how she's juggled it with motherhood, how um, she has juggled it with marriage, and and you know what her reflections are upon her career in journalism as well as with family. And it's been really, really lovely to just listen and learn from someone who has so much to offer and has walked like and lived an amazing life so far and so much more to, and to happen. And she also has a fantastic podcast with her best mate, Corrie, which is called Don't Shoot the Messenger. So if you want to jump on and have a listen to that, it is a lot of fun. I know. Uh, they talk um, all things current affairs and, and book reviews, movie reviews, everything. So it's, Wine. It's a re- yeah. <laughs> It's a good one. So we were very, very lucky and she's one wonderful woman. So welcome, Caroline Wilson. Welcome to Not Superwoman. This week we're joined by the trailblazer and amazing woman, Caroline Wilson. Welcome, Caroline. 
Lovely to be here, Zoe. Hi, Beck. Hi, I'm like so excited. <laughs> Fangirl. Fangirl. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. Zoe had raised this with me last year and um, you have been sort of a goal we've worked towards in wanting to speak with you. So to have you here is very, very Around exciting. the kitchen You table. only needed to call. I finally <laughs> did get back to you and I do live around the corner. And oh, if I'd no. known there was going to be tea and sandwiches, I would have come here. <laughs> Well, we yeah. are. We, we do love a snack for our podcast. So. <laughs> need to, everyone needs to be fed because you get through the day and you just realise you haven't eaten. Kind Sadly, of that a... doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> a billion things going on. Okay, well, welcome, Caroline. We are yeah, really thrilled. Yes. We're not talking footy today. Well, we're talking everything, I think. I think um, our goal today was to really, uh, I think, understand the the Caroline that's away from the sports journalist um, media profile just as much as understanding the sports journalist media profile. I mean, you have had such an astonishing career and even looking into you, your background and, and you know, your name that I've seen across newspapers growing up, you know, that's been a household name, our parents and, and also us talking about your breaking stories and then to then get to know you and the just how you got to where you're at now because it's it's an amazing 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 journey to date and, and still have your sanity or yes. what appears to be your sanity <laughs> yes no I do I do I've got a few solutions to that but um far away oh, go your great. hardest well, we, thought we, we, we wanted to start with like the Caroline from like the childhood Caroline where like where did you grow up and, you know, what was your family sort of uh, – what were your parents like and your siblings and start, start back there? Well, I grew up in Melbourne, probably not that far from where we're sitting here today. Um, I went to the same school from Prep, which I think is your old school as well, <laughs> and it was an all-girls school where I think they did encourage careers, even though I, I, I was born in 1960. So when I first started in Prep – um, I was the only – I wasn't – I was never a star. I couldn't even do up my own shoelaces till about grade one or two. Um, in those days they had free milk and I always spilt it down my front. <laughs> I had the daggiest smock. Um, no, it was it – was, um, I was certainly not, um, not somebody seen as the girl most likely in prep or grade one or grade two. All my friends were better at art or sport. I was the last picked on every team. <laughs> But I did have a nice gang of friends for most of the time. Um, I was the oldest in my family, a, a younger brother and a younger sister, and we're all very close in age. I was very bossy as an older oh, sister. Can't say I, that. <laughs> I had two. Um, I had two parents who were, you know, have been incredibly supportive all the way through. They, their marriage was not successful, and they probably took too long to divorce really but they split up in when I was in my mid-20s and in fact I was living in London when that happened. Uh, what else can I say? Um, Dad was very involved with the Richmond Football Club which is a club I still support. That is where the football interest came in. Me and my sister particularly loved the Tigers and she was in the cheer squad. I remember we'd have sports day at school and Dad would, it was always in September, and Dad would appear and say, come on, Barbie, you know, I'll take you to the Tigers training because they were always in the finals in those days. God, that so, was very good. Yeah, it was, um, it was probably to get to know a footy club, admittedly from the outside, but Dad was on the committee for many, many years, became president for 12 years and was a very outspoken president. So I got to understand the media and 
all of that from so an early age. Because they were often journos ringing our house. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I can imagine. That's what I was wondering is like where did that ignite? And even your dad being involved, like did he grow up loving football? I mean, was it sort of a passed down tradition? So yeah, he did. He, yeah, I don't – And but I never – I always wanted to be a journalist probably from early on, from probably about what we now call year seven. Yep. And but not really because I was interested in writing about sport. I loved the Tigers, but I was a film buff. I was obsessed by film. I read, I had books on script writing and films, and I was obsessed by the old days of Hollywood. I loved when Picnic and Hanging Rock came out. I mean, that just was life changing for me. It was oh, such I an incredible imagine. film. I think I was in about year nine or ten. Um, so my ambition was to maybe end up as a film critic or work in film as a script writer, but somehow get there through journalism. Right. So that, that was where the journalism ambition was so born. So a combination of um, your family's dedication to the Richmond Football Club and then I, I was reading that it was through meeting a lot of the connections uh, that journalists through your dad and the club that you had a lot of interaction with journalists and so on as well. Yes, there was a bit of that, Beck. And Dad, um, I, I didn't really want to go to uni. I had no ambition. I didn't really enjoy studying. But I had a couple of really brilliant, as they say, you only need one or two good teachers. Mm, and I had two or three. And they were very encouraging so about English my, teachers? Were they? Yeah, yeah. Mainly English, uh, a woman called Dean Turner, who um, taught me English in year 11 and 12, and some brilliant history teachers as well. Yeah. Um, and I loved history as well. So Victoria Fritz was one of them. Anyway, I ended up um, getting a job as a copy girl when I was 17, like just after I finished school. And I think I certainly got down to the last 40 through Dad's friendships with some senior media people. Harry Gordon was one of them. He was editor-in-chief, I think, of the Herald in those days. And uh, they tell me I got down to the last seven or eight or ten or whatever it was through my own methods. But certainly I had a bit of – there was a bit of nepotism there, if that's the right word. And I don't really mind talking about that now because I think I'm now sitting here in my early 60s and I, I think I've justified it because uh, I'm still I a think journalist. You have just, uh, <laughs> well, I'm still a journalist. Well and truly above and beyond that. But <laughs> the copy girls and copy boys were like the lowest of the low. Like if you got in, that was the the – they don't have any of this system anymore, which is really sad to me. You have to almost be a, not only a graduate but a graduate with masters and honours and having mm. maybe even done, you know, worked in um, – what, what is it when you become – before you become a lawyer? You know, we, we take in article clerks yeah, now. Article it's just clerks. extraordinary. But anyway, I was straight out of school and I spent a year – Going through letters to the editor, picking up my, you know, boss's dry cleaning, you know, in Brighton. So is that a paid role or is oh, it yeah. something that you oh, do? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. 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 And the assumption is unless you literally come to work drunk and throw up or, or hit someone, you actually will always get a cadetship the second year. So I got – I became a cadet in my second year. Well done. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was so just thinking about me being a that. dish pig at the Portsea pub. Oh, yeah, <laughs> my yeah. first kind of job, I was like, ooh. <laughs> well, anyway. I, yeah, I, I, my first job was I think 13 or 14. There was um, – I went down Glenfree Road one day and went to a, the two supermarkets and I got a job in one of them. Yeah. Packing shelves. Yep, you just got to do it. I earned, I think I earned six dollars, and I'd walk home to my house, and on the way home was a fish and chip shop, and I spent a dollar yep. on fish and chips. I know food's um, quite motivating. What was though the gender ratio like when you were a cadet and when you were studying journalism? It was pretty good. It was. Uh, I think uh, I want to say there might have been a couple more males, but not many. The um, the Herald in 
famously in those days, um, it it helped if you were Catholic mm-hmm. and came from a Catholic background, mm-hmm. and I wasn't. Oh, um, yeah, I'm like, I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, I, I think it was pretty equal. There was certainly, I moved into the sports department late in my cadetship. And it was really only through the encouragement of another great friend, Corrie Perkin, who I'd met studying. They sent you to RMIT to part-time to study journalism and you were meant to end up with, a, at the very least, a diploma in journalism or a BA. I got neither. <laughs> got, because Has it I, stopped you? <laughs> well, you learn more in one day at a newspaper yeah, than I yeah. did, I hate to say it, in a, a month of going to classes at RMIT, even though I met a lot of – well, that was the other place where I ended up in the same room. So you met with, Corey there? Yep, yep, and I met – well, Bre- it was really where I met Brendan too. He was True studying. love. Yeah, so it was funny. Corey and I both fancy Brendan. Oh, we, wow. We've never fancy. Oh, that's a story no. we tell. <laughs> I've always loved Tom. But that was a, that was a long time ago, and it was we. Brendan and I did not get together for years after that. But anyway, um, so what age were you when you met Brendan? Like, and were friends? Um, I think probably eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. and I think he was in a long term relationship. Mm. Anyway, Corey. Corey and I became great friends. He was um, about nine months younger than me, had come straight into a cadetship at the age, and our fathers knew each other. Her father was a very famous newspaper, the most famous newspaper editor probably Australia has produced, Graham Perkin, Mm -hmm. and my father knew him. He'd died by this point, tragically, far too young. So we had that connection. We became great friends, did a lot of wagging. Did a lot of going home to watch Ivan Hutchinson's Midday Movie, which you girls would not remember, but it was a big thing. No, but I used to just leave school and go home for lunch. Yeah, we know the wagging part. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we became great friends and she, one year in her cadetship, um, was put into the sports department and she loved it. She did a really good job and it wasn't something that she, I think, really wanted as a career path. She only did it for a year, but she really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And my... The sports editor at my newspaper was at a dinner with her one night and said, I'd love to have, you know, a woman too in sport, but there's no one at our joint who's keen. And Corrie said, well, I know someone who is. And looking back, I don't really know why she said this because I'm not sure that I was, but um, and it, like a lot of things that have happened to me, there's a lot of coincidence and serendipity and just fate. Mm. So he offered me the job in sport the following year and said – You'll be doing this, that, the other. You won't be covering boxing, which he thought was a real sacrifice, but trust me, it wasn't. And you'll be doing a lot of women's sport. There was no suggestion that I would cover football. They, that was a bit of – that was to be continued, to be decided. And um, so it was really through Corrie that I got my big break, I suppose, because I, I was doing okay in my cadetship, but I was by no means one of the stars. In fact, I got pulled up for my dress sense – and I, I remember the chief of staff saying, have a look at the other women, or I think he said girls in the office, and you might get an idea that you need to lift your game a bit. I still run into him occasionally, or I have over the years, up until recently, and um, always remind him of that. And he's like, I know, what a dreadful... But it was probably true. I probably was a bit of a slob. Mike Sheehan, famous football journal, who was chief football writer when I went into sport, said I used to wander around in these big op shop coats, and I think I probably did. But, um, but I love that. It's a good. This is what fascinates me further about you is that the sense of self of of being. Had someone said that to me, I probably would have mulled over it. But Gone you, home and cried. Yeah. <laughs> but you seem to have this character where you are. Uh, you sort of push past it. 
Oh, I was pretty terrified, Beck. No, I was very scary going into sport and it was um, a weird. I probably thought I looked – I was dressing really well. But no, I was – I never thought – I was always – among my circle of friends, I always felt I was the least attractive or one of the least attractive. I mean, maybe a lot of people feel that way, but I did have a lot of very attractive friends. Mm. Um, I didn't have – I hadn't had a boyfriend really during – I had, but no, nothing to speak of no long-term during school. Um, anyway, in the sports department, it was tough. I mean, it was very different to now. I mean, we had to we had to file stories on deadline for, at 9, 9.30am for a newspaper that came out. It was an afternoon paper, which we don't have anymore. And you had to ring people on their home phones because there were no mobiles. And if you missed them at home, you weren't going to get them again till 8.30, 9 o'clock till they got to the office. But there were no media managers in footy or other sports. Or there were, but there was maybe one, and you never went to them. You went to coaches and footy managers and what we now know as CEOs. They were called general managers then. So it was all about great relationships, I guess. Yeah, it was going straight to the source, yeah. which is so difficult now. But it's still the only way you're going to get a story. So it just spends a lot – it's a lot tougher now for young journalists to have to circumnavigate, you know, the – well, I mean, there's paywalls, but these are media walls, really, yeah. to get to the to get to the right person. Mm. Drive to the house and park out the front. <laughs> no, it was it was really scary. I did some terrifying things, and I was often pulled up and you know, told off and got into trouble. And I would go home, you know, I, I was always nervous. To this day, to this day, you know, and I've often often say this to people: if a phone call. Um, about a you know a difficult story it doesn't make you a bit sick at the pit of your stomach when you're making the call or organising the meeting. Then it's not worth it as a story because it's always a bit scary. Oh, oh. God. see, even hearing you say the words terrifying and nervous, I mean they're just two words I would never, from my, knowing you as a journalist and media personality on TV, those two words I would never put in the same sentence as your name. Well, there's a lot of bravado, I think, and and. I guess at some point the bravado becomes real. I guess at some point you, you transition. But I still get hurt, offended, upset if I make a mistake and I do make them, you know, as people constantly remind me. You're um, only human. You know, yeah, but, I mean, it's always upsetting. And I think yes. I think the other thing is, um, what was I going to say? I, th- I think the thing about appearing, well, television was terrifying to me for many years and I still get a little bit nervous at the start of every show, and I think that is actually quite healthy. Mm. I mean, I know footballers who don't can't run out onto the MCG without throwing up before not only every game but every quarter. Oh. You know, and, and it would be a terrible way to live, but that's the way a lot of them exist. I think Nick Revolt wrote in his book that that was how he was as a player, and you know, he sort of loved it, but he must have hated it too. Mm. And I'm not, I'm certainly not like that. I also think upbringing helps. I mean. You know, I don't know about your parents, but we were always like, look people in the eye when speak 100%. speak to them direct. You know, from when you're about five or six, say hello. You know those yeah. kids mm. who, and it was always there were kids who were shy, and I used to get a bit. Well, hang on, everyone's shy, mm. and I know some people. I'm not. I am not by any way belittling um, mental illness or anxiety or mm. stress because I know it's very very real, and maybe I don't have it as bad as some people, but I do think when you're forced to face your demons from an early age, it's actually quite helpful. Absolutely. And you just practice it. I, I try and do it with the girls all the time. I'm like, just look someone in the eye, say hello, say thank you for having me, and it, it's practice. Yep, it, it is. And and those things all 
all help. I mean, and I, you know, I, I advise young people now sometimes and there's one particular young person in the industry who was keen for a bit of a catch-up and people said I should catch up with and I made the point to a third party, when I do meet this person, I am going to say that you need to toughen up here, there and they and they said to me, look, if you're going to say that to them, maybe don't meet them because they couldn't really deal with that. Mm. Sort of like, well, if you can't – I mean, mm. it, because that happened to me so often yeah, all the time. I mean, sports said – I mean, I, I wouldn't condone the stuff that happened to me. Sports said is coming up and, you know, come on, F you, you know, to, when you're on deadline and there was a lot of swearing. And, yeah. And I but, think, you know, a certain amount of rejection – like I'm not saying you're being rejected, but things that do make you – Nervous Those and confronting moments. And, and being told no or being told, you know, for instance, in the past when I've gone for different roles or jobs and I've been told no, it, it makes me have a thicker skin. It makes me think about it. I go into things in a different way. Mm. Yeah, but it's it's not a bad thing. Yeah, but I would say, like, I mean, from from the experiences that you're talking about, they're, like, quite extreme. And, and to be honest, now, I mean, everything is so politically correct these days that a lot of that stuff just doesn't happen. And whether or not, no. you know, there's a good and a bad, I guess, to everything, but I think that it's probably sort of made us maybe soften and less resigned in a way, but then at the same time, I don't know. I no, some of the things that went on in my early days of journalism, and it, it makes you resilient, but you're right, Beck, there's a middle ground. Yes. There's a middle ground. And, I, and I, I'm very – the workplaces I'm in now, um, obviously people are now a lot younger than me. When I started, everyone was a lot older than me. And it, it is good to be pushed. That is certainly true. But it's also good to be supported. And I always felt – I was very lucky. I sort of had a bit of both. And there were bad experiences, but really they were mainly good. Mm. When the, the young people I sort of work with on a regular basis at Footy Classified and 3AW and at The Age, I, I suppose Footy Classified is where we were very much at quite a tight team and a lot of the people there are young men and women. I mean, I'm so encouraged by their attitudes compared to what the attitudes were even 10, 15 well, years ago. Well, I guess ago. you can learn from them, they learn from you. Oh, like completely, all- completely. And, um, and I, think, I, I think I've sort of helped some of them. I hope so. I hope so. So, with that being said, I mean, you say that you've, you've experienced some terrible moments. Who or what has pulled you through in those moments to keep going? Oh, look, in, I've been married for over 30 years now. How long have I been married? 33 and a half years. So, I've always had a really supportive husband who was also, for most of our time together, a journo and a really good journo. I mean, not only did he really help me on a micro level – like it's deadline and dinner's on the stove and the nanny's about to leave and I can't think of an intro and I've got a really good story and I'd ring him and say, you know, I'd give him five facts and he he's just so good at giving you yes. a good start to a story. Oh, um, wow. So what there's, a team. And then there's the other – probably never – he never came to me for that sort of advice. Yeah, I'm like, ah. um, <laughs> but, but on the other – and at a deeper level, um, he was – when things seemed really tough and really unfair, you know, he was always really supportive and there were times he'd say, listen, you do have strong opinions and you did say something fairly harsh, so sometimes you've got to wear this. Mm. Um, Having a lot of close female friends, Mm -hmm. some of whom could not give a flying about football and so really had no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Friday 
morning cup of tea or the late Friday afternoon glass of wine, you know, when you don't even talk about it. Mm. I think, you know, a lot of the people I work with in the industry of AFL, it's their whole life mm. and um, all their friends are not, you know, probably not so much now, but this was all growing up and really up until about five, ten years ago. So it was all they talked about. It was all consuming. Their contacts with their friends I've tried to sort of keep those two areas largely apart, although it does get tougher as you get, you know, into, as I say, I'm now in my early 60s and there are people I've known in footy for decades and they are sort of friends Mm. and it's hard when you've got to write things that they might not like, but my rule is that you're still going to do it, you've still got to do it. Mm. So I think the girlfriends, the close girlfriends, the family, my parents, even though um, I'm a lot older than you two, I've still got both my parents They've always, you know, been in their very, very different ways, very supportive. Mm. Brother and sister both live in Sydney now and have for years, but um, we're a real team. Mm. We're a bit of a three-man squad, my sister, my brother and I. And so all of those things, it's just always been an outlet, mm. really. It's been very and, – and I've got three really strong – everyone says their kids are amazing, but my children are very <laughs> independent and I think they're – I think they're brilliant. They're sort of all a bit quirky and a bit different. They're all very smart. And they've been, you know, in later years, they've been great too. And when they were young and too young to understand, it was probably a good distraction as well mm. because got, they needed me, you know. Yeah, I've got so – I mean, so many questions are yeah. popping into my mind, but I'll start with even starting a family. I mean, I, I you're, um, we talked about how you started to move into sports journalism. At what point did you – meet Brendan and then start a family and how did you find doing that with were you freelancing at the time or were you full-time engaged with work or Brendan and I were together we met we actually got together I moved to London again everything I've done has been very spur of the moment I have never really thought out anything and I honestly mean that I'm not just saying it. So I moved to London when I was 23. I'd been in the workforce by then for six years. Mm. I quit the Herald, but I got a good job with them overseas in their sort of bureau. Um, I was going for a year and I literally only went because my younger cousin, Amy, told me she was moving overseas and I thought, oh, that's what I've got to do. And I I was in a relationship at the time, but I I went, I'd stayed there for two and a half years and during that time, Brendan came visiting, not to visit me, but we ended up at the same pub one night and I, yeah, I pretty We're much... We're all good love story stuff. <laughs> I pretty much, set the pub. My, pretty much set my sights on him when I heard he was in town, to be <laughs> honest. I'd always had a crush on him. And we ended up, there was a lot of things happened, but we ended up um, living together back in Melbourne at the end of 1986. I think I covered the British Open, the one where Greg Norman won... Um, shook the monkey that. off his back at Turnbury oh, wow. and then the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh and soon after that I moved back to Australia, got a job back at my old newspaper. Brendan and I moved in together at the end of that year. It was a bit of a tough time for our family because mum and dad had split up and our big family home had been sold, our family beach house had been sold. It was a really difficult time. Oh, but anyway, um, we ended up together. Um, I resisted the idea of marriage for a while, but we ended up getting married in April 1989. By then we had both decided, or soon after that, decided to go and work for the Sunday Age. There was a big newspaper revolution in Melbourne that year and Mm -hmm. three Sunday newspapers all began and there was so much money going into them and it was a real golden time for journalism. So we went to the Sunday Age and not long after 
I, no, that's right. At our wedding, Brendan in his speech said, and we're looking forward to starting a family soon. And again, I just looked at him amazed. <laughs> Come what? again? News Sorry? to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure enough, we did get we did start a family pretty soon. We were very lucky. We never had to try to have children. It happened straight away with all three, pretty much. So did you get mat leave? Like how did that work? I didn't qualify when I was at the Sunday age. I hadn't been there long enough, but they gave it to me anyway. That was kind of them. Yeah, they were really good. My employers were really good. But in those days it was six weeks paid, a year unpaid. Okay. And men got nothing. Yeah. And then when I had Ned, I was also at the Sunday age and again I'd only been back probably, you know, I can't remember, for a year or so and again I got the same deal. And then I went to work at 3AW. I hosted the afternoon program when Rose and Ned were four and two, that was quite tough. That was tough. Oh, massive. Full-time job. And it was like 12 till four every day. And so you did had to you do have it. a nanny help you? I had, we had a nanny for a long time. We had um, Danish au pair girls Great. Um, who so were wonderful. A bit of daycare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, it, again, one day, I always, we were very happy. We had two beautiful kids. And I remember picking up um, Ned from kinder one day and two different mothers who, were, who I knew um, came in and told me they were pregnant. And I thought, oh, I've got to have another child. <laughs> got to have another one. And because I'd come from three, I don't know. Anyway. You just yeah, feel you like have it in your head. Yeah. Yep. So Clementine came along and so I left my radio job because I, there was, I didn't really want to – work full-time in radio. So that was probably the longest period I never worked for anyone full-time. I think I had two years pretty much freelancing. Yeah. Had a pretty good gig still writing for The Age, bit of um, stuff on 3AW. And then um, when Clementine was about two and a half, I think, or maybe three, two and a half, The Age asked me to be their chief football writer. Right. And I didn't really think about it. I, if I'd, Had I really thought about it, I would have said no. So getting back to the children thing – um, I, so many young women come up to me and say, oh, "Are you really? I haven't really thought about it nearly enough." And I and I'm sitting here today, and you've been very kind about my career, but I don't think I've done as well as I probably could have. But and I don't think I've been as good a mother as I could have. I think you know it's gone pretty well. I've been very fortunate mm-hmm. to have kids that have been pretty good. You know, so far, and two of them are in their thirties now, and one's in her mid twenties. Touching wood here. I mean, when you're taking us through all of that, I um, sort of think that there must have been almost an unspoken understanding between you and Brendan where you, as as you were saying before, like there was no plan to parenting plan and there wasn't a pre-discussion. So you both must have had a regard and a a respect for each other's careers to just assume that everyone was just going to keep going about what they were already doing. Yes, that's true. And I, I think, you know... I, I hate to break it down to gender, but really I was the more flexible one. Yep. Writing, Brendan left newspapers um, around the time we were having Rose, our first child, and went to work at Channel 7 as their state political reporter, a job he held for over 30 years. So even though he usually only worked Monday to Friday, they were long hours, a lot of travel, particularly in the early years, and a lot of weekend work when there were – Liberal Labor Party conferences, etc. Even though I was really busy as the age chief football writer, and there was times I did miss some things. I'm sorry I missed, but I, I generally, you know, particularly by the time they all got older, when there was music or rowing or athletics or football, 
I, I didn't miss too much, mm. you know, of those things. Um, there were times I was too, I arrived late for the school pickup, particularly with Ned, and I feel really bad about that mm. um, when he was in junior school, but not too often, but it did happen. And Ned was always so understanding. In fact, he, he was the one who wrote, wrote the heartfelt Mother's Day and birthday cards. Mm. I know you always mean to be on time and <laughs> I know you, you're not always at dinner, but you do try to be at dinner. Oh, <laughs> I, was so, I, so I got left at ballet and I still remember. Dropped at other people's birthday parties at the fairy shop. Oh, God. yeah. Like, no, well, does these things happen yeah. when you have working oh, no. parents? And it's oh, there was one day um, – um, I think um, we had a really lovely girl, but she dropped um, – I can't even remember. I think it must have been Rose. She dropped Rose at um, daycare and there was no one there and she just left her and someone found her. It was just the most horrific situation. <laughs> I, I just – but these – I went the even um, – Resilience. I'm, I've been at home with the kids, mind you, starting to work again. But um, our, I, the other – last school holidays – Drove my daughter to um, the tennis program, dropped her off, left, and then I got a phone call saying she's not booked in here. (laughs) And we've got a full, um, and I'm like, oh, and I dropped her to the wrong holiday program. And like, you know, it just, you can't, there's so many things going on. Oh, that that happened with Ned and two friends at a a golf program. Three of them were left there, you know, for the entire day. (laughs) There was no one supervising. (laughs) Sorry, anyway. Come back and pick them up. General, gen, and in fact, that day I was actually at a girls' lunch. How bad I wasn't even work. But <laughs> you I mean, were important too. True story. There was flexibility. There was also, and my mother was, um, and still is, amazing. I mean, she had Rose every single Wednesday. She'd pick her up from school and or tennis or cello or rowing, whatever she was doing on that particular part of her life, and have her for the night. And that she did that from like grade four till year twelve. Mm. So you know, I and I there was a lot of outside help. Yes, and support. And um, I mean, I must say, I, I feel like we've we've spoken to a few people um, throughout the season one and season two of the podcast, and I've, there's this running theme as well of the dedication of grandparents um, that really offers such a layered support to the entire. Family. Oh, and you yep. have so, like I had such a special bond with my grandparents from spending that time with them. Mm. Oh well, that that's the same with that's the same with so Rose. Nice. All my kids and my mother, and in yes. fact, he's the same with the Sydney family. My sister's got four children. But um, getting back to it, when I say you overthink things, I mean that sounds bad because all I mean is the best laid plans. You know, they just things don't work out. They, mm, they never. No. You, you'll have a child that is not the way you think they're going to be, or you'll have a job. It is not the way you think it's going to be. I just made it work. And there were times I know the age were really, really good. I mean, I would often nick off, really very, very often nick off to do the school pickup because I really thought that was important and I'd continue working at home Mm -hmm. and there'd be someone at home who had got the dinner ready or, you know, and sometimes there wasn't but usually there was. In a way, it allowed you um, journalism because I—I I mean, I'm obviously not yeah, a, journalist, a journalist, and so <laughs> and so you would have flexibility there. It's not a sort of generally nine to five because your story can pop up at any given moment. Always, and the deadlines were a bit horrendous. And there were times, you know, I remember going into a a school event, and um, I got two messages during that event about a story that was going to break and I could have broken them but I didn't look at my phone until I came out of, you know, the school chapel and so... Yeah. And, you know, but, a, and it's, it's doing it? what's yep. best at that time yeah. and making that 
cool. Yeah. I, I think I think there was a, there was a period. It was really difficult. The first couple of years as chief footy rider, it was tough on the kids, and I think they found it really tough. And I remember me saying one day in the car, going down to the beach, I'm not going to do this next year. And Ned running along the beach to one of his siblings who must have already been down there, saying, I think to Rose, Mum's Mum's not going to do it next year. She's going to quit, and isn't it great? And of course, I didn't quit. And then. It was difficult and I didn't feel I was doing as good a job as I should be doing and there were a couple of people in the department who were not very nice to me who I don't don't know whether it was gender related and chief football writer being a woman was a bit difficult but I was told later that there were some men who didn't weren't comfortable with the appointment and then I went and covered the Sydney Olympics and um, it was just such a great experience and the children came up and got to go to a couple of things and I, don't, I can't explain it, but I think that was – it dawned on me that I was always going to be a career person. I loved my career. I was not going to give up these experiences. I knocked back a couple of things. Like I didn't go to Beijing or Rio, even though I was offered to go. I just went, up nah, too hard, don't want to do it, too hard on the kids. I remember the Athens Olympics were really tough because all the kids were at school and it was a long time to be away. And Rose, the oldest, saying to me when I got back – I think she was in year – um, eight, don't go away for that long again, Mum. Mm. Like just said it, like you know, in a matter of fact way. And I thought no, and it was that was really tough. Mm. That was tough. It's it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because I mean, I think about you before as well, talking about the moments of um, when you're about to break a story or waiting on a call, and you feel almost nauseous. And like, how do you when you were going through the times of about to break a story, story getting a source and possibly receiving some backlash or criticism for the story, how do you protect like yourself and then in turn your family and nurture your way through that being that it's so public? Oh, look, I think I don't think the kids had too much stuff go on at school. I mm. mean, you know, one of the dif- difficult things was um, there were times when there was a couple of big stories happening, certainly in the Melbourne Football Club, and there were a lot of Melbourne supporters at my son's school. Go days. School. <laughs> I think you'll know what school I'm talking about. <laughs> And you'd be at parent-teachers and, you know, there'd be a board member at the next, you know, booth who was really cross with you because you'd written something and (laughs) it was like that was always a bit tricky. It's awful but it is funny at the same time. Like it's horrific. Looking back, it's funny. Um, The Essendon drug scandal was probably – that was the toughest, I think. And I'm trying to remember, I think Rose was probably living overseas. She was on an exchange university program and I – I think I want to say Ned was living away from home, but somebody got into Clem's social media and sent her some dreadful stuff. Some nasty, dreadful stuff. And I remember we got up one morning and someone had come into our house and turned our hose on, and the front garden was sort of flooded. You didn't really know whether it was to do with that. We had tyres let down, you know that sort of stuff. I found out after. um, Well, the story, you know, it's a never-ending story. Really, it took years to. finally finish and you know there's still ramifications but I found out much later from senior people at the age that there'd been death threats but I never really knew about that Mm. um but you know the the strongest you know the strongest support there was Brendan Mm -hmm. who was an Essendon supporter and was a bit worried at first that I'd gone too hard and but came to my way of thinking once I explained to him stuff that I knew and people I'd spoken to Mm. And a couple of really good senior journos at the age, my sports editor at the time, Alex Lavelle, who was always really – but always driving me as well, you know, 
come on, next story. And um, Nick McKenzie, who's a famous um, investigative journo, um, who's just put a book out about the Ben Roberts Smith story, um, which he... I did want to read that, actually. It's a great book. Side note. It's a great book and he's a great journo. And he and his um, investigative partner at the time, Richard Baker, all came in and started breaking some stuff too. So there was support from the newspaper there that there hasn't been in the past sometimes when it's got a bit personal. So that was... That was good. Yeah. I mean, even pushing through that. I mean, literally in those moments, did you have any distinct moments where you, like, come out and your tyres had been let down and you thought, I just don't want to do this anymore? Or I just want to retreat or can go away? Or no, no. It makes you angry fight. and more determined yeah, to right. prove people wrong. I mean, yes, there are times you just want to hide and you write a big story and you just can't face the ramifications. Mm. But no, that one, no, that made me all the more determined mm. and made me angry. I mean, I, I, I was legitimately angry. Not only was I being driven as a journalist to get the next good yarn, but I was so angry that a group of young men had been experimented upon at a, time, at a football club, a professional organisation that should have known better. And, you know, these kids had been sent there by their parents in good faith. Mm. And, you know, didn't know – I mean, we still don't know the long-term medical effects. People say, oh, yes, we do, everyone's fine. Well, I'm sorry, we don't. Mm. And even if one player ends up, you know, getting something – or you know, being diagnosed with cancer in later life, he'll always wonder. Mm. He'll always wonder, you know, we didn't – they didn't even know what they were giving us, so how can they know that it's all fine? Mm. So I was gen- genuinely angry. It was pretty tough taking on James Hurd, who was such a protected tenant and hero, a hero of mine. You know, he was a beautiful footballer, one of the all-time best. But I, I just felt his refusal to take responsibility – um, the club's decision to fight, fight, fight and not accept responsibility, that was just, you know, it was frustrating. Mm. It was, and, you know, it was, you know my, I was being discredited too. There were people saying that I got, was getting all my stories from the AFL who were taking on Essendon. You know, it just wasn't true, mm. you know. So that, that was annoying and made me determined to keep going as well. Mm. I yes. do find it interesting. Um, I was chatting to a few friends at the bus stop um, and they all, everyone barracks for Essendon. And I said you were coming on, and they're like, "Bloody hell!" Like it create people. Oh, there's still people so who passionate who think about it. Was it all but my fault. Universal though, they're like, "We do love Caroline Wilson, and we think she is a fantastic reporter." Oh, there's so a, that a respect huge level of respect is amazing. Like you, you know, even if you, I guess, evoke strong emotions from people, there is respect, mm-hmm. and they think you are a great journalist, which. You know, that, that is pretty nice too. That's very nice, Zoe. It, it, not everybody thinks that, but I think that... They're lunatics. The, the, <laughs> the Essendon thing was, I mean, I, and I'm not just saying this, I think there was a bit of gender... I mean, I wasn't the only one going hard at Essendon. You know, I mean, I was probably the loudest voice at certain times, but I remember Patrick Smith in The Australian was doing some brilliant reporting on it as well. And it was never, you know, James versus Patrick. It was always James versus Caro. And I think that gender-related... Um, well, they create that narrative that oh, then people, kind of... One, one really yeah, good friend, one, somebody said to a good friend of mine, did, um, did he knock her back once or something? I mean, that was a, that's a sort of vernacular that, I mean, I've had to put up with for many years, but that I was still hearing that back in 2012 is pretty extraordinary. Oh, I mean, but I, again, I, all of those things, I, as I'm talking to you and, and learning more and getting to know more, I'm immediately thinking you have an ability to compartmentalise that not many people would would be able to 
do and then a resilience and to, to sort of push past all of that derogatory commentary and and be determined due to integrity and for the right cause. Uh, to me, I admire your character in a way that you don't reflect upon these things as necessarily like uh, as a gender thing, or as yeah, you, you don't you focus on the gender thing. You forge ahead, and you, I don't think you realise the um, impact and the power in which a character like that and a resilience like that has on women around you, and you have the ability to just focus on what you're trying to get done and get it done, rather than be consumed by what could. Could end up being a gender focused, you know, argy bargy, or uh, you get the, still get the story out there. And I'm trying to understand the the way the resilience. Where did it come from? How did you, as much as gender is well, not never a thing, you, you broke through patriarchal barriers that a lot of women haven't done before. Do you feel or see that, or is that something you, you don't even focus on at all? I don't really. I think. I mean, I certainly think that as um, I became older and more senior, that was when the the gender stuff became an issue. When I was a young up-and-coming journo, everyone was really lovely and supportive and, you know, there were some funny things that would happen. You know, I was accused of only giving votes to good-looking players and, you know, kicked out of dressing rooms, <laughs> which problem? has happened to a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know, I mean, Marcus Bontempelli would get three votes every week. <laughs> jokes, jokes. Um there was, I mean, my first ever footy writers' dinner, now known as the um, Media Association annual dinner. Um, I was literally taken to the kitchen of, at the Carlton Football Club, and they said, "Now um, you're with the catering. You need an apron because there was no other woman, no other woman <laughs> had ever gone there before." And I spent the whole night in fear of a very famous ex-footballer and media personality who was famous for doing, you know, bad things. To women, you know, uh, embarrassing, humiliating things to God. women. Not, I'm not talking about assault. Although, actually, looking back, if you're looking forward, it probably was assault. Anyway, so I also genuinely loved working with all these. You know, they're very funny sports writers and football writers. It was a much, it was the most fun place to work, and all, still is. I mean, and same thing happened in London. I remember going to a, um, as a going out to cover a, a golf tournament in in Surrey somewhere, at Wentworth in Surrey, and it was a World Match Play Championship. And the English journos, they just gave me nothing. No one was friendly, no one was nice. And then in a press conference with Sevi Ballesteros, a very famous Spanish golfer at the time, he started vaguely flirting with me just in a stupid way in the press conference. And they all noticed me and they all were coming up and introducing themselves. And I said, you are the most unfriendly, you know, snobbish, you know, un... <laughs> Group of blokes. I mean, I, this is the first time you've spoken to me. <laughs> and these were all a lot of – and they said, all right, you know, and back – Fleet Street still existed then. It was still where a lot of the papers were. Fleet Street, you know, Tuesday, we all have a drink, five o'clock. Well, I was sort of in. It was great. And, mm. and I, they were, they were people that for many, many years, you know, I, I kept up with. And um, so it was always a lot of fun. We had a, a pub near the Herald called The Phoenix and Friday night drinks were just – hysterical and so much fun, you know, really enjoyable. I had a sports editor who people sort of felt was gruff and probably thought was sexist but his, and his name was Ron Reed. Tragically, he died far too early last year in his 70s but he, he brought me into the fold and supported me, you know, all the way through and I'll always appreciate that. So 
you know, really, it was only when I became the chief football writer and started having strong opinions. And sometimes it was just the opinions. It wasn't the gender. Mm. But, you know, it's funny, Beck, even to this day, like a few months ago, I was ringing a very well-known club CEO who I would not call a friend but a very good acquaintance who I've always had a good relationship with. But he's, you know, a bit of a smart aleck and pretty happy with himself and he said to me, I said, oh, thanks for your help. Um, it's good that you rang back now because, you know, I like to get the column done. He said, oh, everyone knows you don't write your column before, until you've had three glasses of wine. Mm. Like the inference being that I don't have these opinions except that I'm having all this alcohol. Well, that was actually – I was so insulted by that. I mean, I didn't say – I just said, oh, you know, good on you or something and hung up. So in those moments – Yeah, in those moments, how do, do you react? Do you literally say, oh, good on you or – Yeah, good on you and, you yeah. know, just um, – Move, for, move on. Move, I was thinking something on. a bit stronger than good on you. But I'm yeah. going, yeah, well, I probably thought something stronger. <laughs> but, you know, then you're going to – these people are contacts and you're going to need them again in the future. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there's just some people who, you know, they just still see, you know, and, and now it's not only being a woman but an older woman – and not some gorgeous, you know, mm. TV host. And so maybe that makes it harder. I don't know. Generally, most people, well, I think I'm trying to say, are pretty good. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and there was um, – I'm trying to think of some other bizarre comments. Oh, well, Brendan Gale, who's the CEO of Richmond, and many people, many people feel, and certainly me, should have been given a much bigger look in for the new AFL chief um, to replace Gillan McLaughlin – and someone else seen you in footy said to me, um, um, I had a go at them about a decision they'd made, one of, a senior person, and they said, oh, you're just annoyed because your boyfriend didn't get the job. You know, and you think, well, would you say that to a male? Mm. No. And, you know, Kelly no. Underwood did an interview on, on the ABC a few weeks ago with Craig Kelly, who's a Collingwood CEO and well-known football entrepreneur for many years, and he really turned on her about a question about AFLW and he was, I thought, boorish and condescending, to be honest. Did I, I ne- never really knew the word mansplaining until years after it came in, but he was a real mansplainer this day. Mm. And the interview was written up in the Herald Sun a few days later in the Media Street column and the journo, you know, who's a bloke, wrote um, Underwood more than held her own. Well, would he have written that? Mm. Would he have written no. that if had a if male it, been, had a male been asking the question? Yeah, like, you know what I mean. So oh, totally. More than hell. I mean, Kelly in. Underwood is, you know, I think late thirties, probably early forties. You know, she's a mother. She's a senior journalist. She calls football. She's been around for a long time. She more than held her own. Please, yes. It just, it's, it's, it's still, okay, and those things. Ten years ago, it would not have bothered me, but I do read that and go, "Oh, for God's sake!" It gets a bit tiresome, I think, it does. and especially it when is. you've been you 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 are now so established and you've been through so many experiences. I can only imagine that you just get to a point where you do start to recognise this stuff more often than not because you know you've you've witnessed so many different things. Um, was so your highlight of like you mentioned Sydney Olympics. So was there there that a poignant moment where you're like. This is why I love working in sports journalism. Yep. Yeah, that I mean Sydney Olympics were a highlight because, you know, national pride sounds really schmaltzy. It was just such an unbelievable event. No one really thought it was going to be and yet it was. I felt I'd had a really good year journalism wise and was given more responsibility there. Um I was 
one of the people set to write the night Kathy Freeman won, and I, I just defy anyone to describe a more incredible moment in Australian sporting history. I mean, leaving the Homebush Stadium that night, you know, black families were embracing white families, and I really thought we had sadly as time has shown, I don't think we really have turned a corner mm. in race relations. Hopefully we will soon. Well, yeah, it's a bit nerve-wracking, isn't it? Um, but anyway, that was just extraordinary that night. And just, you know, quite taking away the fact that she's Indigenous. I mean, the pressure on her as that, that night and the atmosphere at the stadium, it was just one of the great nights. So you get to hold a ticket to major moments in history, so there's that side of it. Um you know, the London opening ceremony of the London Olympics, just one of the, you know, because culturally it was just so brilliant in every mm. way. Um, yeah, look, you know, Richmond's first premiership in 37 years um, back in 2017. Um, that was my last grand final as chief football writer. I actually, I reckon I've written better stories on deadline than that one. And I, I've, I had to cover, do every grand final on deadline for 19 years to the front page, or longer actually. But that moment... You know, it was just incredible. Mm. The year that the Sydney Swans finally won, you know, and Paul Ruse held up the cup and said, here it is, to all those South Melbourne supporters, you know, 72 years. So those moments are brilliant. But, you know, breaking big stories, you know, sitting down with the AFL chairman and finding out that the AFL are going to um, introduce a team, in second team in Sydney and a team on the Gold Coast, which was a story I broke I think I think Rose was – I always date it back to what year the kids were in. Yeah. Rose was in year 12 and I remember I had to drive to Nagambi the next day for the rowing. Mm. And um, that drive. Yeah, we were in – Zoe and I were in the same rowing crew and we were terrible. So oh. I know that – I know that drive. <laughs> well, you know, but I'm – you know, it's just great. To, you know, everyone – every journal loves breaking stories. So yeah. to this day, even though I'm not doing it full time anymore, I'm only writing a column a week for The Age, but if I get a story, I write it mm. or go, break it on TV or radio and – it's a it's 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 always it's always really good. It's always very exciting. Mm. Or you know, often with me, you you'll say and people will say that's just not true. That's wrong. And when it's proven right, you know that can be that's pretty good too. Very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's true. <laughs> I would love that moment. I would well. love that moment too. Doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. <laughs> I know. Well, we we always sort of. I mean, I I, I laugh as well because. I think about um, your, again, I'm referring to your nature and characters. I'm getting to know you in this interview. And um, I just, I think there's something to be said about growing up in the environment that you had with your family and being around the Richmond Football Club with your parents and so on that's definitely strongly established. Because I, on the alternate, I grew up with two sisters and ne- we were never a part of sort of sport or AFL. My dad loved like um, playing tennis. So Australian Open was a common theme, but beyond that, and I think about how um, how the, the the different the varying experiences that I'm comparing, I'm like, my goodness, it just I, I think it really um, set the foundation there for for such a robust future in in sports and sports journalism. Versus, I think about myself in doing pretend plays with my sisters in dresses and stuff. Yeah, but now you've gone on to have two boys and a husband who is sports mad. Yes, mad. And I I said to Beck, I'm like, you've got to embrace it. Yeah, like yeah, you just have that happened to my sister. She had three boys. She she had a girl um, quite a lot later. But she, she literally, I mean, Saturday mornings at our house, you could sort of sleep in a bit, but my sister had to be out the door every morning. If she wasn't out the door at somewhere 
open space by 7.38am. Drives me bonkers and I'm adapting now, but I was, my um, son started to play under eights this year, so starting playing games. And um, I thought it was going to be at the same – this is how naive I am, <laughs> Caroline. I thought it was going to be at the same field at the same time every weekend. And um, and then Tom was like, no, 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 it's, it's at different fields all over, you know, Melbourne. Uh, is this football? Yeah. yeah Don't call them fields, Beck. If you oh, go, no, please. And there we Your go. Your credibility with the other's parents will be. But don't no. get me don't get me wrong. I mean, I was the I was a lazy kid. I would spend a whole weekend. Li- I was a voracious reader, and that's always been my other great escape. I read a lot of books. So, what's your favourite book? Oh, gee, more recently, I did love Still Life by Sarah Winman. I cannot um, get past the first three chapters. Why? Stick I keep with going it. back. Stick, okay, Crossing okay, to Safety okay. by Wallace Stegner. Have you read that? No. Okay. And Carol Shields, The Transit of Venus, French Lieutenant's Might Woman. Just write a few oh, of these. Wow, you do <laughs> just write read. a list shortly anyway, after this. Seriously. Anyway, they're Ooh. just four absolute classics. But um, but you know, in, in Year Twelve, I mean, the members of our gang, we had a gang at school. We would at lunchtime we would sit around and play cards. Mm. We would you know wag periods and play cards. Would you gamble? <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't gamble. We just played cards and um. The ones who were good at sport, we almost bullied them out of doing it. Come on, come with us. And, you know, and I was suspended from school once, stupidly, um, for smoking. Mm. I know, in one of the bathrooms at school. I mean, what an idiot. Mine was the <laughs> chapel. Oh, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't know if we can air that. No, let's not. That's wrong. <laughs> thrown, out, thrown out of um, – well, at last picked in every team, as I said. Although I look back and I, I think sp- – Women were not encouraged to do – unless you were really good at sport, it, that was fine. But I remember no. going into senior school and thinking I wanted to try baseball, softball, hockey and going to training and trying out and just being treated like a bit of a klutz. And I was. But, you know, now everyone would get a turn, you know, everyone would get to yes, play in a team, yes, which yeah, didn't happen when different. I was there. So I just went the other way. I just became a rat bag and gave up. Which was, you know, probably a bit of a pity. I also was an absolute box head. I love television. And people who, you know, restrict their kids now to limited television, I'm sort of like, well, God, I'd come home and start watching it, you know, at 5.30 or 5 and go I all don't the way. I yeah, that was television. <laughs> yeah, I, we, I love it. I love it. Yep. No, yeah. it's just – so I, I was probably a child of my age, you know, and I, you know, I love music, but – I think that really, certainly sport was not something I was good at or embraced. It's just that I loved the Tigers and it made me understand footy, I guess. And mm. Dad being president, I mean, he'd take me to games, but then he'd go and have drinks after and meetings and I'd be sitting alone, you know, in cars, you know, for hours <laughs> waiting. And, you know, I, I then started bringing friends so we could at least play, you know, hang the butcher in the car or some game on a bit of paper to do something while we waited for Dad, you know. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. Wouldn't be allowed these Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, can I leave the kids in the car (laughs) and just go to the footy? Oh, God. No, a friend of mine actually recently attempted and the cars are now so modern that they um, an alarm goes off if you leave the kid in the car. Oh, gee, that would have been a lot of alarms going off. Often I actually leave the dog and I'm like, where's the dog? Oh, oh, that's sorry. bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have Hopefully the windows out. Not, never no, on a hot no, day. No. It's more that I've just taken them to the beach and we're all kind of running in. Yep. And I'm like, where are the dogs? Oh, <laughs> God. Um, so to end, we always end our um, podcasts on a hindsight question. Some people don't like it because they think it's like 
a regret question, but I always find it so helpful. It's so yep. helpful to look back. So what would you go back and sort of tell your younger self when starting out journalism? Oh, that, that it's just a really difficult question. What would I tell myself? I'm, I'm repeating it aloud so I have a real think about it. Take your time because then I would I was, have I, I would have taken more advice from people who gave me advice when I was younger, and I didn't think I knew it all. But I probably have never been that great at take. I'm, I think I am a good listener, which is very important mm. when you're a journalist. I think it's important as a person. It is. It is, and you know I know good journo's who've missed great stories because they were too busy putting forward their own opinion mm. to listen to what they're being told. And you've always got to listen to what someone's telling you. So always listen and take advice. Um, I, I think I – don't, I don't know what other – I don't think I really understood what I was letting myself in for. And I probably I, – I would have liked to have um, – given that I was given the opportunity for free to do a degree as while I was still working as a journal, I should have done that. I should have got a degree. That was just slack. So they're the two – they're advice, regrets, you know, that's what I, I would have done differently. So then if we were to change the question and adapt it to um, motherhood and like as a woman, do you have something you'd go back and tell your younger self about, you know, being kinder to yourself about parenting or womanhood – Oh look, no, I, th- I think, I think all all my um, and and again, I know this isn't a regret question, but all my regrets are being just a bit stressed about everything that was going on and worrying about things, you know, not seeing the forest for the trees. Mm. So just enjoy the experiences because mm. I look back and you know some of the happiest times I had as a mother were you know um, just a really lovely breakfast at one of their schools or um just sitting at the beach with them, you know, and not worrying about, you know, got to get home and do dinner, got to get home and think about this story. Yeah, just just enjoying it more. Mm. I just wish I'd enjoyed it more. I mean, I certainly enjoyed my kids and I still do, but um, there were some things we did and I remember you'd do it for an hour or two, but there was always somewhere else to be and I wish I hadn't worried so much about that. Mm. Because, you know, really, there's no one I'd rather, really rather hang out with than my children. Mm. I find, well, that's not true. I mean, I love hanging out with my friends too. But I get it, though. It's so funny. They're the, they're, they're the people that I, there's no one else I'd rather hang out with. And then at times there are far greater people than I'm I like, would. what about having a wine with me? <laughs> I know. Yes, well, there's, it, there's, you know, mixed, yes, mixture. It's, it's that bittersweet. There's always, I, there's I always wish I could uh, be present in that moment, but yeah. often I'm thinking yeah. about other things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I should know that because, you know, all the most successful football teams have been successful because they've lived in the moment and not thought to the next win or the next, you know, whatever. And not that I follow Maybe that. Maybe I should make my family a football team. Not that I follow, I've never followed the philosophy no, of a that, good coach. No, but it does actually make sense. But, but they're, they're life philosophies. And, um, you know, we just had a, a family holiday recently overseas and we were together just literally the six – well, some other friends and family were there too, but we were together for six days and it just happened that there were no partners there. It was just me and Brendan and the three kids. And that was we just had so many laughs and it was so much fun. Because mm. you do forget your – family dynamic as just you guys without partners Mm, like I yeah it's everything works like sometimes when one of the siblings is missing there is that dynamic change Mm. yep 
And yep. you're like, I just want to go back to the five of us. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I've, I, I never Sometimes. feel like... Look, you all, I just, I never feel I enjoyed certain things enough. And I and I never wished the years away, but, you know, there's such happy years that, you know, you do regret not enjoying them more and mm. being too busy. But I think I, I would imagine every mother says that, mm. if, yeah, they're, if they're it's, honest. Yes, I, I mean, even I still feel like that now. And I, yeah. I can see, catch myself doing it at times and still can't seem to stop myself. But... But I just have well, try some, not to. I know I'm listening to you now and heeding it because it just makes me want to go and spend my, the afternoon with the kids too. But you're entering an amazing era as well with having your daughter returning home and being and grandchildren. Yeah, Gosh. yeah. No, I know. I'm really looking forward to her coming back, and you know, I'm looking forward to them all being back one day. And but you know, they've all been. We've all had a lot of good times together, and we tend to. We've gone over there and visited them and. Yeah, no, I miss I miss having them around. I really do. My younger daughter sort of she was because she was born, you know, the first two were born quite close together and then there was a four year gap. And so Clem spent a lot more time with us probably than she probably ever wanted to. And she was my little mascot many times and we've done a lot of things together, just the two of us. And she forced me I mean, she'd say, um, because footy finals were always a bit of a nightmare because there were school holidays and everyone was else was going, you know, to Noosa or Byron or somewhere or, and I was always working and I always felt guilty that grand final week. And then we'd do something the week after. And when Rose and Ned went off into adult lives, I remember I remember Clem one year saying, "Mum, we're going to have a melt. We're going to have well, they're now called staycations, but they weren't. That word wasn't around." And she planned a whole week for us on her own. Like he planned, we did something at the National Gallery. We went to um, one of those, you know, gold-class films. We um, went to a cafe he wanted to try. And looking back, he was only about 16 or 15. It was so cute. And those sort of things. I know, I know. Really special. I I love coming to Melbourne and doing stuff like that. I actually just rang mum before and I'm like, can we stay Saturday night so you can babysit and we'll go to the footy? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's sold-out game. You can't come. Oh. Because well, I just want – I love coming to Melbourne. There's so much to do. Yes. There is. Oh, well, you live out of Melbourne, well, which is very radical. Bit, but it's just so nice to come back and do the gallery and, t- and do cafes and just walk I don't around. know. That, Melbourne's a great city. It is. That move was massive, Caroline, because she was Richmond through and through. I've never met anyone who had dedicated her whole entire life to a suburb more than Zoe until you moved. But um, Change is good. Yes. Change is good. See, change of scene. Oh, yeah, the peninsula is pretty good too. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you. You have been brilliant, honest, raw, vulnerable and so bold and strong at the same time. So just very, very grateful. Girls, you've been far too kind. No. It's been lovely to chat. We'll get Cory next time. <laughs> oh, you'll have a great time with her. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. Hold up. 